Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Our hearts sink back into becoming this generator of evil thoughts. And the Lord Jesus Christ described that dilemma or disease in Matthew 15, 19. Matthew 15, 19, when he said, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. Murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness of blasphemies. See, David understood that his heart would become a heart of a, of a generator of evil thoughts unless God was in all his thoughts. So he was sensitive to what takes his eyes off of God. And so second to this, David has an expectation from God where he says, he shall pluck my feet out of the net. So he's expressing his hope that God is going to take his feet out of the net. He's not saying God's going to prevent my feet from going into the net. But when my feet do go into the net, his expectation is for God to pluck or take his feet out of the net. His eyes are ever toward the Lord to deliver him. See, that's a religion of dependence on God. And why did David, why did he say this? What did he mean when he said pluck? What did David mean when he said he'll pluck my feet out of the net? It's interesting. It's interesting because where that Hebrew word is used, yatzah, where it's used first is in creation, in Genesis chapter 1, where God said in Genesis chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, tree yielding fruit whose seed is in itself after his kind. God saw it was good. See, God said, let the earth yatsa, let the earth bring forth these wonderful vegetation, wonderful vegetation. So how did the earth yatsa, how did the earth bring forth vegetation? Miraculously and by God's command. How did David expect his feet to be yatsa, plucked from the net? miraculously, and by God's command. The having his feet plucked out of the net is the opposite of what he spoke about in Psalm 915. Psalm 915, the heathen are sunk down, sunk down. They're drowned, tabas, they're drowned, in the pit that they made, in the net which they hid, is their own foot taken. So when God said that, I mean, really, when God said that he was gonna bring this out of the earth, And David uses the same word, shows an expectation back to God of the kind of way in which he was expecting to be delivered. And Jacob said that God had graciously given him these children. I mean, Jacob's eyes are ever toward the Lord. God was in all his thoughts. So when he uses the word graciously, he says, they're a gift. They're a gift to him. I mean, he he didn't deserve them. 
They were just given to him by the grace of God. Now, after Jacob has finally prevailed on Esau, remember, it was a tense situation uh, about this gift in verses 8 through 12, because Esau was no, no, yes, no, oh boy. But Esau says something amazing. He says something amazing to Jacob in verse 12, and he said, let us take our journey and let us go. Wow, what's that? Esau wants to be with Jacob? You know, God has made Esau to not only not be Jacob's enemy, but to be Jacob's friend. Now he's his friend, and he he wants to be with him, and he starts off, he's got all these questions in verse 5. You know, who are those with thee? And verse 8, what meanest thee by all this drove which I met? He has so many questions, and Esau feels that there's so much that you and I need to catch up on, Jacob, that's happened over the last 21 years. So let's start right here in the middle of the desert, you know? And, and then Esau says, no, no, wait, this isn't such a good idea. Uh, let's not do this here in the middle of the desert. Uh, let's take our journey. Let's go, and I'll go before you. Esau is really saying at this point, I know you come over to my house, and we're going to catch up on everything. Come on over. Stay a while. We'll talk. We got 21 years to catch up on. I want to know everything. That's really nice. Now, think about if you're Jacob, that sounds really nice. Oh, it's great. You know, I'm sure there's going to be food. and you know, It's a wonderful time of talking and of catching up and telling the stories. And, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, you know. It's just going to be a great time. That's what fellowship is. It's wonderful. Now, Esau has just made a proposal to Jacob. Let us take our journey and let us go. And it's very interesting for Jacob, really exciting, you know. And now Esau's proposal, it leaves Jacob with four options. And it's interesting to see these four options and to see the option that Jacob chose. Because Esau's proposal in verse 12 and the four options that Jacob had really give us an illustration of what it means to be inconsiderate of others and what it means to be considerate of others. All right, option one. I get the ball rolling. Option one. Jacob could have turned to his family and said, Esau is my only sibling. He's my twin brother. We fought for 70 years at home. <laughs> and that's funny. I mean, like, reminds me of what time when we were telling David, you know, Joseph might join the company of brothers, my sons. And so my son David, Joseph might join the company, and David kind of pauses and he thinks to himself, when we were growing up, we fought with each other. I guess we'll continue the fight now. <laughs> anyway, all right, sorry for that side note. All right, he could have said, Esau is my only sibling. He's my twin brother. We fought for 70 years at home. I haven't seen him for 21 years. We've just been reconciled. I'm so excited. I have so much I want to talk over with him. Hey, you know what? Says your family. The men servants will bring you along safely while I'll catch up on old times with Esau. Now, If he had done that, that scenario, which he didn't do, that scenario would have been inconsiderate of his family. And if Jacob had chosen that option, Jacob would have only been thinking of himself. Jacob would have been selfish. Jacob would have forsaken his family. I know Christians that forsake their family for church. Uh, Every time the church doors open, sometimes every night, they leave their family and they go to church. In essence, they're taking option one and saying to their family, church means a lot to me. I got a lot of friends there. I've got to put God first, so you all stay here at home while I go off to church. 
Now, I'm not saying it's wrong for a man of the house to go off to prayer meeting. It's not at all wrong, is it, Irene? <laughs> yeah, uh, on, on Wednesday night, as long as they're not forsaking their family. A person has to be very sensitive to not forsake his family for church. And one reason that Jacob did not do option one is because of how he saw his children. See? How did he call his children what he calls children? He says, the, the children, in, in verse six, the children which God hath graciously given thy servant. So he sees his children as a gift from God. That gift came with responsibilities. And Jacob understood that he had responsibilities of husbandship and he had responsibilities of fatherhood. And Jacob was not just the brother to Esau. Jacob was the husband to Rachel and Leah and the father of 11 boys and at least one daughter. And and in verses 13 and 14, he is thinking of them. And you know, the word is interesting, consider. The Hebrew word that's used here has a meaning of separate. Separate, it means to separate. You know, a picture, in other words, you separate. uh, (laughs) I don't know, I'm trying to say that. You know, I I love that very, very famous, um, very moving scene in Fiddler on the Roof, which I call uh, on the other hand scene, you know, where where Chava, the the daughter, wants to marry the Gentile Fiedka, the the Russian, and Chava's father, you know, Tevya, he considers whether or not to reject his daughter, Chava. Something a little close to home for me. Every time I look at that, it it brings tears in my eyes because I experienced that when I married a Gentile. Anyway, so this is this on-the-other-hand scene, and Chava comes to Tevya and begs her father to accept them. And Tevya goes through this thing. He says, accept them? How can I accept them? He says, can I deny everything I believe in? And then he goes, on the other hand, can I deny my own daughter? And then he goes, on the other hand, <laughs> how can I turn my back on my faith, my people? And then he sits there and he says, if I try and bend that far, I'll break. On the other hand, no, he says, you know, there is no other hand. And then Tevya screams at Chava, no, no, no. It's a terrible scene. Anyway, that's what it means to consider, to look at on the other hand. But when prejudice takes over, as it did in his case, Tevya stops considering. He says, there is no other hand. The Hebrew word here, bean, means to, it means to separate. Separate your interests from the interests of others. Jacob wanted to go with Esau, but Jacob considered with his, on the other hand, his children and his young animals. And God calls on man to consider two great issues in life. The first issue is in Deuteronomy 32, 29, where God says, oh, that they were wise and they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. See, the first issue that God wants man to consider is, what's going to happen to me when I die? What's going to happen to me after I die? There's a Holocaust survivor right now in his 80s. He's calling for the rabbi because he wants, as he says, assurance. He's thinking about what's going to happen to me when I die. The second great issue that God calls man to consider is given to us in, in Isaiah 1, Isaiah 1, 3, where it says, the ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his mother's crib, but Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. God is saying his people do not consider how he has taken care of them. And then later on in that chapter, in verse 18, Isaiah 1, 18, Isaiah 1, 18, he says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. 
Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So God is saying that his people are not considering that their sins can be forgiven. God is saying his people are not considering his invitation to come and reason so their sins can be forgiven. And then when he steps out from behind the drape of the skies in Matthew 23, 37, he says directly in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 23, 37, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem! Thou that killest the prophets, stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. God's very sad about that. Very sad that men do not consider his kind offer that he made when he came here in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to save him from their sins. In consideration is prejudice. See, that's to say with Tevya, there is no other hand. See, that's what I face all the time in my work with the Jewish people. Interest in, in what I'm saying until I say one name, Jesus. Then I'm in Selma, Alabama in the 1950s, and I just talked about a good black person. <laughs> that's the way it is. Oh, he's black? Oh, sorry, we won't consider, you know. Oh, you're talking about Jesus? No, nah, it's over. Like the rabbi who said to me as I was talking to him, he says, you see these long curls? It's a Hasidic rabbi from Jerusalem. See these long curls? And I said, yes, rabbi. He says, watch this. And he took his curl and he put it in front of his ear. And he said, this curl is now a block wall. <laughs> I can't hear anything you're saying. If Jacob had taken option one of going with Esau, Jacob would have been inconsiderate of his family. All right, option two. Let me ask you, what would have been another option for Jacob to have proposed to Esau? I called Joe the one he could have proposed to his family. Now, what could he have proposed to Esau? Yeah. Forget you? Forget you? <laughs> okay, I wasn't thinking of that one. <laughs> How about another one? Take another card, Clinton. <laughs> okay. All right. He could have turned to Esau and said, Esau, my family and animals can't go that fast, so why don't you what? No, that's what he did do. <laughs> Why don't you slow down? Why don't you slow down and take the pace of my family? You know, just change your pace. Just change your pace for us. You know? Now, if he had said that, that would not have been considered 400 men that Esau had, you know? And of course, you know, they got to burn off that big breakfast they eat every morning. So, you know, that would have been inconsiderate to them. Okay, option three. Option three would have been to turn to his family and say what? Pick up the pace, <laughs> right? Let's pick up the pace, right? Everyone pick up the pace so I can spend more time with Esau. In other words, this would have been Jacob dragging his family to keep up with Esau's pace. I know Christians who don't want to miss out on church functions, so they drag their families to church, you know? Consideration must be the rule. Now, Jacob he takes option four, which was the choice of consideration. He considers Esau as 400 men, doesn't want to slow him down, considers his children and his family, and in the next two verses then, he tells us that he had separated his interests, being consideration, separated his interests from the interest of, of Esau and family and looked at him and the, and the animals. And so this idea of consideration is to separate our interests from the interest of of others, just as Jacob did. When we do that, when Jacob did that, when we do that, then there is a fulfillment of Philippians 2.4. 
Philippians 2, 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. I mean, Jacob was excited naturally. He felt excitement. And, but when he looked at his children and his animals and he felt their weakness, we, then he fulfills Romans 15, 1. He fulfills Romans 51. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. When Jacob made that decision, Jacob decided not to seek his own and Jacob fulfilled that part in the great love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, charity, love, seeks not her own. Now, now we see the reason why Jacob took this option four, which was really the choice of consideration, and he made this choice for option four because he's being considerate, not just of people, his, his family, but also of animals. And that's described as a righteous person in Proverbs 12.10. A righteous man regardeth the life of his beast, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Now, Jacob describes the children, his children to Esau, when he says in verse 13, the children are tender, the children are tender. With that statement, Jacob looks at the condition, he says, they're tender. The word tender is used to describe the special mercies of the Lord. They're called tender mercies, not just mercies, but tender mercies. And David was the greatest, in the Psalms we find this term most used there, tender mercies of the Lord, Racham. And so it's referring to, David's almost always referring to the tender mercies of the Lord in relation to forgiving our sins. See, we get a picture from Jacob here of when God forgives our sins because of his tender mercies. Just as Jacob, he turns and he looks, he considers how weak the children were. He calls them tender And then, in other words, he means they're weak, they're vulnerable, and he makes compensation for the children. So God considers our weak state, and therefore, because of his tender mercies, he forgives us, as it says in Psalm 103, 11, Psalm 103, 11. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, that's a scene for Jacob and his children, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. And then it says, and it speaks about the history of Israel when, you know, in Psalm 78. Psalm 78 is, you can't read Psalm 78 with going, oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. They did that. They did that. They did that. It's kind of a recap of, uh, of what you've in the first five books, Moses. But anyways, in Psalm 78, it gives kind of a summary of what happened in verse 37, Psalm 78, verse 37, where it says, their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not, Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. See, that's what the tender mercies of God are are all about. It's considering our weaknesses to sin and forgiving us because of his tender mercies. In Psalm 25, 6, Psalm 25, verse 6, Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindness, for they have ever been of old. When David called on God, how do you do the horrible sins that David does, and then you call on God to forgive you? How do you do that? How do you rape a wife and murder her husband, and then call on God to forgive you? 
How did he do it? In Psalm 51.1, he starts off and he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Psalm 103, verse 4. Psalm 103, verse 5. Four. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. But no one should be deceived or presume that God's just going to carte blanche forgive any person unless that person fears God, repents of their sin, and calls on the name of the Lord Jesus to save them. Because God makes that very clear in Numbers 14, 18. Numbers 14, 18. The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. See, it's forgiving iniquity and transgression when he's called upon. And in John 3.16, that's the whole idea with that provision there. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And here's the provision that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Not everyone, but just whosoever believes into him. So it's significant in verse 13 that Jacob describes the flocks as with me. The flocks are with me. You know, it's a, it's a good thing to look at a family. A husband should look at a family and says, you know, my wife is with me. My children are with me. And when he, because when he says that, he's owning responsibility to take care of them. And then he says he feared for their death from just one day of being overdriven. He's just told Esau. Esau's pace was not acceptable because the children are tender and the animals will die from being overdriven. It, oh, is there some other reason that you can think of Is there some other reason that Jacob maybe didn't tell Esau for why his pace was not acceptable? Any other reason? Yeah, he couldn't walk. He was Chester. (laughs) He couldn't walk. He's got a limp. He can't keep up with Esau's pace. He's got just had his hip out of joint. (laughs) He didn't mention that to Esau, you know. Okay, never mind. All right, so now... (laughs) Jacob has given the reasons to Esau, and we see that in verse 30, 14, verse 13. Let my Lord, I pray thee, pass over before his servant. I'll lead on softly according to the cattle that goeth before me and the children be able to endure till I come unto my Lord and see her. See, Jacob says to Esau, he should go before Jacob. That's self-sacrificing on his part. He let, he's letting the opportunity pass. And when Jacob heard that, he wondered himself, boy, that doesn't sound like the same brother I knew when I was growing up. You go before me? It was always the opposite. He's, he's a changed person here. He says, Jacob was never willing to let Esau go before him. Jacob's mission in life was to push Esau out of the way. But now he's saying, you go first. He's a changed person. And Jacob says something that we have not seen in him before in verse 13. I will lead on softly. He says, that's not the words that we know about Jacob the driver. These are the words of Jacob who's changed. He's gentle. He's tender. He's got a caring heart, like of a mother nursing a child, nursing her baby. You know, a mother nursing her baby, it's the ultimate picture of tenderness and gentle, loving care. And we know that only mothers nurse their children. But God calls that picture out and told kings to lovingly, tenderly care for his people in the same way as a nursing mother. And he calls the kings... In Isaiah 49, 23, nursing fathers.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E. Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Starting September 25th, join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. On opening day, September 25th, we'll have Phil's Barbecue with special guest musician Jim Earp. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship. <laughs> 